If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's essentially the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need on one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your pod right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your pod on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, welcome to Let's Process This with Melinda Hill. We are happy you're here. We, meaning me, pretending I'm a we for some reason. Hi. Let's Process This is a podcast about processing and overcoming trauma and transforming it into creative treasure and life treasure because we are not defined by what happened to us, but we are defined by what we do with what happens to us. Hello. We also talk creative process, like how does stuff get made? How are people making things? How are people making it through things? My intention is that you will feel inspired and empowered and illuminated by the insights that you find here. And also, of course, entertained. Some quick announcements for you. If you're so inspired, please support this podcast by subscribing for free wherever you get your pods and rating it and leaving a nice review. Yummy, yummy review time. You can become a patron now directly on anchor.com or on patreon.com. So hop over there and become a patroon. You can access all this stuff at my website, melindahill.com. If you can do all or any of that, we are so grateful. We, of course, just meaning me. Another announcement for you. Very exciting. My comedy special, Inappropriate, is now out. What? Yes! I am so excited to share this comedy special with you. You can get it at melindahill.com or wherever you get your specials. It's also a comedy album. And you can get that wherever you get your comedy albums. The special is called Melinda Hill, Inappropriate. Few people said a few things about it. Hollywood Chicago says, combine the hilarity of prime observational comedy with the zen of inner peace, and you have Melinda Hill's stand-up special, Inappropriate. The sharp master of laughs delivers an hour of riffs on her life and her loves. Off the Tracks goes on to say, Melinda's special is bold, funny, and deep. A hilarious comedy hour jam-packed with laughs. Speaks to her development as a joke writer and deliverer, but also arrives at exactly the right time. Ooh, we love arriving at the right time. Gotta love that divine timing. Guys, did I mention that we are so happy that you are here today. Thank you so much for all of your support. Let's get into it, shall we? I'm here with my beautiful cup of tea and my beautiful heart-shaped saucer to have a beautiful chat with my friend who starred in my movie with me it's not my movie. It's a movie we were both a part of. It's called 
Love Weddings and Other Disasters. It's coming out December 4th on all the platforms. So get it while it's hot. I'll be speaking with my castmates every day here on Instagram Live leading up to the release at 9 a.m. Pacific time. My guest today, very exciting actor, Dennis Staroselsky. I hope I said that right. He'll let me know. He's going to be here in a minute. He has appeared in the feature films Rubberneck, We Don't Belong Here, Detroit, directed by Oscar winner Catherine Bigelow. Very impressive. American Woman and the upcoming, as I mentioned, Love, Weddings, and Other Disasters, also starring Diane Keaton and Jeremy Irons and King Batch and a lot of other wonderful people. Dennis's TV credits include recurring roles on The Loudest Voice in the Room, The Deuce, Madam Secretary, and guest stars on Nurse Jackie, It's Always Sunny in Philly, Castle Rock, Law and Order, among others. And he's also, like many people in our movie, he is also a writer, and his credits, his theater credits include the world premiere of An Early History of Fire. Fight. Um, and he also, as a playwright, his full-length play, Just About Cured, was produced by the Stella Adler Studio of Acting in New York City. Please welcome my wonderful guest, Dennis. Dennis, why are you sideways? on this Instagram Live? That's my question. Because you're sideways to me. Well, I think, I you know, if you, have to do? if you want to do a vertical interview, uh -huh. you might want to flip your phone over there, your technology. Okay. We are filming this on Instagram Live, oh, guys. Oh, Welcome oh. to the fancy technology of my podcast filmed oh, live here on Instagram Live. Welcome. That's, that's my roof. That's my basement roof. Okay. While I set up a stand here. This is amazing. This is so good. This is there you go. Cute. Now you're vertical. Listen, I just want to say welcome and I'm so happy that we're able to make this happen today because Yeah, me too. Because it was a rough start. I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, I've never had this many challenges getting onto an Instagram live as we had this morning. So this is feels very uh great that it was able able to happen like what was happening on your end well so i i think i i would say that this is my first instagram live what? and uh. this is my first podcast so in many ways this because of the theme of this podcast is to process trauma uh it very much reminds me of my um losing my virginity which was terrible in the beginning a lot of mishaps, uh, not very well done, but in the end we made it through. Um, so uh, I can relate to that. Although uh, certainly not as great of an experience because you weren't there, Melinda. <laughs> <laughs> what? Pretty good answer from Thank Dennis. You. First of all, am I pronouncing this correct, correctly? Staros Staroselsky. Yeah, um, you are. Um, 
you know, it, it was Stanislavski, but then when we moved to America, we figured Staroselsky was easier to say. Um, really? No, no, not at all. <laughs> Who thinks Staroselsky is easy to say? Nobody. Oh, well, Nobody. I think on set, I was just calling you Dennis Starr. Dennis Starr, yeah. I mean, well, I, I can teach you how to say it so that you'll never forget. Okay? This is how uh, we incorporate acting with with learning my name okay so so melinda how would you act out a star yeah star okay so we got that as a star and then how would you do an o yeah so put that put that together star star and o, o. and then what so are those tiny little things we have in the body cells 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 can we can we crunch up together and make a little cell <laughs> And then what do we do on the mountain? Do we ski? Do we ski? <laughs> then we put it all together. Star, O, cell, ski. Okay, got it. Okay, so who are you teaching, infants? When I, uh, I was, uh, I was a substitute teacher when I came back from LA uh, about 10 years ago. And that's how I taught the kids my last name. That's so cute. Well, I feel like I need to take some credit for the the difficulties of getting on the IG live today because I did not do my usual meditation this morning. It's probably oh. the first time in I don't remember how long and I'm kind of superstitious about it and I feel like everything goes better when I meditate and but I was feeling kind of like a week last night like a cold coming on or something and, and my friend yep. lita was so sweet she dropped off a care package of stuff you know some uh you know the things that you take the zinc and the sure the, the uh, thing, echinacea the things and the wellness things and the yeah. and then i had the lemon ginger tea and i went to bed super early but then t this morning i didn't have time to do my usual meditation. And then it was really hard to get on the Instagram live. And I thought, see, that's what happens when you don't meditate. But I also know that's something called magical thinking. Mm -hmm. Well, but you know, I do think we are, you know, to have a routine is important. And sometimes, you know, there are things that are out of our control and things that we like to control and meditation and self care that's a commitment and that's something that's important to start the day off. And it, it can be jarring that little break from the routine. Yeah. So maybe it's not magical thinking. It's just a, a, a fact that when I meditate, things seem to go easier and better. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, it, it, it's also some sort of a physiological response. Your body was used to that every day, right? Yeah. And, I don't know how that affects Instagram Live or technology, but I know that I've never had an, an issue really. And today it was like, how do you start? Where does the thing? What is the mm -hmm. thing? And so I think it definitely, okay, it definitely helps me. Nonetheless, we're here. I'm so excited to see you. I'm so excited to see you. Because you're in Boston, right? I, I am in Boston where we shot Love Weddings and other disasters. Yeah, so tell me about your process with that movie. So you were living in Boston when you were, and by the way, everyone, uh, 
if I didn't mention it enough, Dennis and I are in a film together called Love Weddings and Other Disasters uh, yeah. that's coming out December 4th on all the wonderful platforms. So definitely watch it. Dennis. It's a perfect movie to just snuggle up with the people you're potting with and have a few smiles at a socially, you know, we're not traveling a lot this time. We're going to stay safe and uh, enjoy the cold winter months with a nice, lovely, romantic comedy, right? Yeah, roll out your uh, your comforter and your mm -hmm. get your cozy snacks. And it's a I would it's a feel good movie. It's not a movie that's going to disturb you, right? It's a it's a movie that's going to help you feel good. So tell us about your journey getting into this movie how did you get the part what was your experience um so it was one audition uh so i'm based in new york as an actor uh but i live in boston uh here with my wife and my my daughter and so i i kind of get to be a part of both markets and um one of the lucky things about being in the Boston market is that when a film comes into town, uh, oftentimes where it's a little harder in New York or LA to have your first audition be immediately with the director, uh, sometimes Boston supersedes that. And so uh, my first audition was with uh, the other Dennis, the great Dennis Dugan. And um, I walked in not expecting anything. Um, honestly, <laughs> the breakdown said handsome, all American, sort of waspy guy. And I thought, why are they even bringing me in for this? I, I never get called in for anything like that. And I've had plenty of uh, people in the, in the industry say you're anything but that. Um, so I thought this is a little weird. And I oh, went wait, in. What, what do you normally go in for? Uh, it's it's evolved over the years. Uh, at first, uh, a lot of uh, sort of Neil Simon Jewish kind of young uh, Matthew Brodericky kind of parts. I did uh, the whole Brighton Beach trilogy uh, regionally, and then um, played sort of a, you know Jewish comic relief character in a, a Broadway show. Um, so there was definitely that kind of. Uh, type for a while and then uh because i speak russian it was a lot of russian parts and um and there was sort of a a feeling that i was not all american at all i was uh considered ethnic to a certain uh regard which was uh yeah um russian you spoke Russian? That's super impressive. I began to study that in sixth grade, but we moved and I wasn't able to continue it. But yeah. I, it's funny, we, we talked about this. I played a Russian in this Svetlana. film. Svetlana, yeah. Svetlana. And so like, how did you learn Russian? And do you play normally a lot of Russian characters? I used to, uh, I don't anymore. Um, yeah, uh, I did because you know on your special skills in the how did i learn russian i learned russian because uh it was force fed to me as a child i i'm the first uh person in my family to be born in america so my parents met they both uh 
emigrated from uh, the Soviet Union. They met in uh, Washington Heights uh, when that was sort of a, a hotbed for uh, the sort of Jewish refusenik uh, refugee movement in the uh, mid-70s when Jimmy Carter was like, we'll take your Jews um, and we'll give you wheat, you know. Um, so there was a, a huge Russian-Jewish immigration surge in the late 70s, mid to late 70s. And so my mom and dad met there um, and I was born subsequently after that. So yeah, I grew up speaking Russian, uh, eating different foods kind of thing. I was, I was, uh, I was a little bit different than the kids I grew up with. I guess. What kind of food did you eat? Well, uh, eventually it turned into McDonald's, but, uh, it started off, you know, uh, the universe, the universal language of McDonald's. Yeah, that's that that's that's what it was. But you know, there were I couldn't believe like when I went to Japan there was a McDonald's. When I went to Honduras, so there was a McDonald's. So, yeah, yeah. And you know, my parents got divorced when I was really uh, young, so uh I had a, a a daddy McDonald's and a mommy McDonald's. You know, I had one one to go with my mom and one one with my dad. Um but yeah, no, uh I grew up uh, eating a lot of uh sort of uh, cured meats and um, something called the katlietka, cut which is essentially a meat cutlet with onions and celery and things inside. Uh, some my, my grandmother also uh, uh, cooked German cuisine, so chicken schnitzels and things, things of so that nature and uh, big pierogies or pierogies. So say. you're Russian Jewish. Okay, my ex-boyfriend was Russian Jewish. I'll look him up. What's his name? <laughs> his name's Dave Kushner. Of course. Of course, Dave. Yeah, he brings the snacks at the meetings. Yeah. <laughs> so when you see a Russian part, you're like, mm -hmm. I got this. Because you're probably the only one who sounds like you have a real authentic accent. Um... No, no, I don't. Uh, the The truth of it is, is uh, I'm Russian enough for TV in America. I'm definitely not Russian enough for my family. Like, if I were to speak Russian with anyone who actually really speaks Russian, they're like, oh, you sound like a fifth grader with a really bad American accent. So um, I could pull it off for... An American audience, uh, my actual Russian speaking and the accent. I mean, it's not a tough accent to do. I mean, it gets a little uh, overplayed at this point. But you know, I just, uh, I just, I realized at a certain point that my reel was starting to look like a uh, a Putin propaganda video. Kind of, I was like just a Russian gangster, and then I was a Russian soldier, and then I was a Russian. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, like uh, I did the Michael J. Fox show back a few years back, and I was essentially doing Yakov Smirnoff. You know, I was like, "Oh, Mr. Michael J. Fox, uh, <laughs> hello, <laughs> so good to see you." Um, okay, because I just, when I went in for Love Weddings and Other Disasters, and I saw Russian accent, I just looked at the characters on Barry. Yeah, and oh, I well, and I brought yeah. that accent into the audition, and then. 
Dennis had a meeting with me to bring, yeah. you know, to to bring the character down, not so big, but that is right. what got me the part. But like, what, what do you, like when you, like how, tell us about getting this part. How yeah, was that sorry. for you and doing this part? So, uh, yeah, so anyway, so Boston is, is uh, I, I just walked in, had one audition with Dennis, uh, did it, and he gave me a note that said, um, okay, do it again, but uh, do it as if uh, it's uh, Neil Simon on acid, which is a, a pretty weird note. Um, yeah, what does that even mean? I knew exactly what it meant. <laughs> For some reason, I don't know. Uh, Neil Simon on acid is Aaron Sorkin. It just meant do it, do it quicker. That, that, and so, I mean, I just, I just knew. And, um, so I did it quicker and he said, that's great. You, you did it. Even though I gave you the worst piece of direction ever. And I said, you say worst, I say best. And it was nice. And I walked off and, and it, it was one of those weird things where I was like, did I just get that? Like, it can't be that easy, you know? And, um, I emailed, uh, one of the casting directors and I was like, did, am I crazy or did that go as good as I think it went? And she wrote back and said, yeah, it did. Um, so, so you didn't, you didn't have to do a, you didn't have to do a callback. You just got it. Just got it. Yeah. Um, I love easy auditions. Have you yeah. been to some where you have to go to like 10 and then there's like a panel of 30 people and then they're like, do this, do this, come back eight more times and then you don't get it? Um, yeah, sure. Um, That's kind of ridiculous. I I, yeah. I I think it's better. I think it's better when auditions are easy. Yeah, I I do too. I mean, I think auditions are horrible. Uh, I, I, I detest them. I, I think they're not natural. I think, I, I think to be honest, it, you know, it's, it, it's a foreign thing to what acting is and the collaborative process of acting, you know? Um, and that's, so when I teach acting and I teach certainly what I need to work on. I, I focus heavily on the craft of auditioning because that's a separate craft um, because that's what I've struggled with the most. What are your, what are your big takeaways? What will people get from working with you? What are the big tips? Working with me as a teacher yeah. or on set? Uh, on, on both. Like what are the big takeaways for audition tips? You know, I, I think a I think it, it's about striking a balance between owning your space and coming from a place of power and not being an asshole, you know? Yeah. And, we like, how does one do that? How do you own your power without being an asshole? And because we had some talks about this on set too, that I want yeah. to go into, but, but go ahead. Well, it's when you think about it, somebody that, is coming, you know, my power should, should only illuminate yours, right? It shouldn't take away from anyone else's. If I, if I'm truly coming from a place of, I'm okay with myself, I own this space, 
you know, I think truly powerful people exist from that place openly. Whereas truly insecure people, which I am, and on my worst days, when I'm trying and pushing and, and trying to force, hey, look at me, I have this chip on my shoulder, but I'm, I'm going to be a powerful person, that alienates myself. You know, that's not me and my best self. But pow- power is, is being able to be open and handle whatever, whatever little wrenches get thrown at you from a place of power. Like, okay, I can handle this. And I'm here to help and, and, and some sort of human empathy without diminish without diminishing anyone else's humanity. Right. That means, you know, if I have a question in the audition room, I'm not, you know, the converse of that is like so many actors are like, Oh, please like me. Just like me. Oh, you, you want me to do it happy, but sad at the same time. Cause I'm remembering my cousin who's a hemophiliac and, and that brings up, joy and rage at the same time. Got it. Let's go. What? No. I mean, wait, give me a second here. Okay. Let's talk about this. You want this. Um, so it, I don't want to be eager to please, you know, I spent so many time, so much time in my twenties in the audition room, just shaking out of nerves because I just wanted you, I just wanted people to like me so bad. And that's not a place of power. And I find, you know, whether it's, I mean, Melinda, I'm sure you find like, whether it's dating or, or any human interaction, desperation is a horrible, horrible scent to put out there. Yeah. It's repellent. It's a repellent scent. (laughs) It's a repellent scent. Yeah. Because I think people sense this person is so needy. It's going to be so much work to, you know, that, that people are just like, I can't like, they just know I don't have the bandwidth to take care, to fill that hole. Right. You know, of, of need of need. That's right. And, and, and that's part of the casting process, right? You're not just casting good actors. There are a million great actors out there. You're casting people that you want to work with. Exactly. You don't want to cast an asshole and you don't want to cast somebody that's needy. Because you're going to be spending 14 hours at least a day with this person. That's right? absolutely right. And you're and you want you need your energy. So it's like, who is going to be, you know, energizing and not enervate, enervating? Is that the word? Inner. Innervating. Drain. Who, who's going to elevate me or who's going to drain my energy? Because I, because right. those jobs are so, they need so much concentration and energy. And yeah. I think that that is a hundred percent. Like when you're, you know, hiring people on a writing staff and you're hiring people to work on a set and you have to be with them 14 hours a day or whatever, it's like, who is, easy to be around so I can do my job. That's right. That's right. Now, then there are other arbitrary issues like, you know, do they fit the character description and all that? That's out of your control. But if you can come into this already awkward situation from a from that place of power, being okay with it, accepting that this is an awkward system that we've set up, um, 
you know, it, it can only propel you forward, whether or not you get the job. That's almost irrelevant, you know, how, and how do you, how does one stay in their power? That's a good question. And it's, it's something that I struggle with every day. I don't, I don't know. It's something I still process. Uh, it depends, you know, there, I think for me, if I find myself veering too much into, you know, cause, cause you know, the kiss of death of any audition is the waiting room, right? You're sitting there, you see a bunch of people that look like you. Um, some people are chatting it up, you know, for me, my mind goes, Oh, I saw that 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 guy on you know i don't know the saved by the bell reboot of course he's gonna get it why you know why are they even looking at me you know whatever goes into my head you know um and so what helps me in those situations are sometimes actually the attitude of fuck you you know i don't need this which is hostile but it's it it's such an antithetical to what I'm feeling, which is I, I'm shit, I suck, I'm this, I'm that, that it kind of balances me out. Sometimes I just need to like, say a joke, like if I'm talking to other actors and just kind of like work the room a little bit, that comforts me. Or sometimes I just put on some music. Um, it, it, it changes day to day. I don't have like a consistent method. I have suggestions. Sometimes I make sure to schedule something right after the audition. I mean, it's tough sometimes in New York because I'm literally driving three and a half hours. I do the audition and then I have to drive back home. So I try and schedule a coffee with a friend I haven't seen in a while, you know, BC before COVID. Um, you know, those things help, but, uh, you know, I'm talking about, you know, the thing, again, the things I teach are the things that I'm still like, I, I, I would never. And what I say to my students is like, I'm not some dude that like came back from the mountaintop with the word. Like the only reason why I think I can help other actors when I teach is because I recognize their insecurities are my insecurities. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I do consulting as well and i work with writers and performers and it's really i mean i haven't done it during covid but it, it it really is awesome because you get to work with so many people and um and exactly help them with like stuff that i wish i would have known right when i got here right. you know that i've had right. to learn but like where do you teach are you teaching on zoom or what's happening yeah, so I teach at Northeastern University here in Boston, and that's a hybrid. Uh, so some some classes are in person, some are are uh, over Zoom. We kind of split it up, but that that place has done a great job. I get tested every twice a week, and they've done a really great job of contact tracing and you know making it safe and a capacity for people inside. You know, there's a limit to how many people can be in the class at a certain time. Uh, and then I teach at Lesley University, which is completely online. 
Okay, I want to talk. I want to um, talk about. Can you? Do you remember on set? You told I me. Do. You told me something that was very profound that I really yeah. needed. I really needed to hear at that moment, and that's yeah. where I was like, "Whoa, Dennis has the gift. He has the <laughs> gift of." of melding the the act the actor's journey, the acting teacher journey and the the gift of knowing what to say at the right time. Do you remember what it was? I do. I tell my students about it actually. Wow. Uh, yeah, cuz that was an important uh So, yeah, I mean, do you want me to to should I describe it? Yeah, you can you? Can you? Yeah. I would love to um, so we were shooting and, uh, it was at that racetrack in Raynham and it was the scene where you come into my office. See, it's, it's good that you're telling this because you, it's good that you're telling this because you remember this even yeah. more clearly than I do. Yeah. Cause you were in it. So what, what was funny to me is that Melinda Hill, you are brilliant, right? You are this brilliant comedian. Um, I remember after one day on set with you just laughing and laughing and then looking up your stuff and being like, oh, she's seriously funny. You know, there, there, there are people that are funny. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like, I can be charming, like, but I, I don't consider myself funny. Like you, you, you're funny, funny. Like, yeah, I mean, if anybody hasn't seen her Amazon special inappropriate watch, you are <laughs> And we'll do it again a few times just for safety. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you're seriously funny. I mean, just the confidence and the timing and the wit and watching your stand-up special. Um, I mean, it's it, it's such a craft and it's brilliant and it's poignant and there's empathy and, and just you are a master at your craft. So when we were shooting, I first noticed it when we were uh, in the limo one time where you got a note and your body kind of tensed up and you shook a little bit. Really? What was the yeah. note? I don't remember the note. I just remember seeing you slightly tense and, and kind of checking in with Dennis to see if, uh, if, if he liked it, you know, Dennis, Dennis was our director, by the way. Yeah. Dennis Dugan. Right. And, um, director, writer, director, writer, producer, etc. Sweet, sweetheart of a guy. Amazing um, guy. And so then it just kind of like stuck with me. I was like, wow, someone that brilliant, uh, is, is nervous in this situation. Uh, which I get, like, don't get me wrong. It's completely understandable. Like if you put me on stage in a microphone and say, make this audience laugh, that's not, I, I'm going to start to shake, right? Even this, like, if I'm being honest, a podcast that makes me nervous. Instagram makes me nervous, right? So it's all, but when I'm on set, I am the best version of myself. There's no question about it. There are exceptions that prove the rule, but I am in that place of power. I, cause I feel like you bought, you bought me. So I got that validation 
And now I am on set and I am open and I, I just, I can play, you know? And so when I noticed that you, when we were doing that scene in the, in, in my campaign office and he gave you a note. Uh, Dennis, would, Dennis plays a, a politician and, and we had a scene in his campaign office just for those listening. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm running for the mayor of Boston. I think this is my, uh, my cardboard cutout of me. Um, with a mask. Um, and by the way, you were so good in that part. You were so funny and you made me laugh so much as the straight man. Yeah. Which was su yeah. such, a, you were such a powerful, funny straight man. Okay, oh, go thank ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's very sweet. Uh, yeah. So um, I could tell again that, ten that tension started to come up. And you kept on asking Dennis, is that what you want? Is that what you want? That's right. Because, because I was seeing Dennis was giving someone else a lot of direction and notes and he wasn't giving me anything. So yeah. I was jumping in going, am I doing this right? Kind of comments or yeah. saying like, is this what you want? And that's when you kind of pulled me aside. Right. Right. And you, well, well, we went back to the, like our, up. they were measuring and, um, doing rehearsal for lights and camera. And you just kind of jokingly said, any notes for me? And, and I was like, well, if I could, and I, I am not, I would never give another actor notes on their performance uh, at all. And this was not a note on your performance. It was, why are you so, why are you giving away your status? Why are you giving your power away, hoping for it to be validated by the director? You know? Yeah. And what did I say to that? You said, you're right. I said, you said, wow. I said, wow. Like that. Yeah. You're right. And then we texted a lot. And, but, but it, it was just, it makes sense. But, you know, and I think, the actor Jay Baruchel uh, said this, and I and I really it resonated with me. Where it's like any other job, whether it's waiting tables or working in an office, you don't run up to your manager constantly and saying uh, saying, Are, "Am I doing what you want?" Yet for some reason, in in acting, performing, we we feel like we need that, and. And I got to tell you, you don't. Yeah. And, and we've all been on the other side of it. I mean, I produce and direct and write. And the last thing I want is some actor, you know, going, did I do that right? Is that, you right. know, although I think it's a valid question. Is this what you needed? Like even in an audition to go, if there's something you can tweak, but like, I thought that was so good that you said that. And you said, if there's not something broken, you're not going to get any notes. You got to trust yeah. that what you're doing is right. The only, the only notes you're going to get is if it's not, it's not right and they need to fix it. Otherwise and, it's not an issue. Right. And, and, and not right. You know, we, not what they need, not what they need, whatever. But you know, it's funny. I was thinking about your special. Um, actually, and how you talked about Louis C.K. and um, 
how we're not good at apologizing, right, as a society. And it, and it got me thinking that right and wrong, oftentimes I feel that I at least equate wrong with bad. That if I'm not, that if I did something wrong, then I'm bad. But the whole, my whole essence is bad as opposed to, oh, I did something wrong. Let me repair that. So even if that is not what they're looking for in acting, right? Let me repair that. Doesn't make me a bad person. You know, it's, 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 I think that's that's the problem i think people have with apologies you know uh, right you can, they, apolo- you can apologize for being wrong you can make amends you can try and make repairs right yeah yeah um and, and you can and, have you and, can and, have a new even experience. something as simple as like what you're doing right now is not what we want you know oh god i'm a terrible fucking actor no Prepare it, take the note, and then do it. Well, that's, I think, a really good point, too, is that a lot of people are very talented, but Mm -hmm. if you can't take a note, you know what I mean? If you can't take a note. Yeah, then what are you doing? Yeah, it's all about (laughs) taking, taking direction and being open and letting go of your plan and your agenda to a certain degree, but, but I loved what you said about standing in your power. Stop, you know, the stop, because that's my my kind of ongoing um, challenge is not seeking validation outside of myself and really standing like rooted in my knowing, like trust, practicing, trusting my instincts, trusting my intuition. And just standing with that and being with that and not needing to see it. Because I think that's a lot of the issues we have with getting addicted to social media stuff and likes and, you know, all that stuff. Self-medication. Everything. It's it's really destructive. And it's like finding that core validation and knowing and 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 staying with that, you know, grounding in that. And and again, I don't have that in so many aspects of my life. Maybe, you know, part, maybe that's why I, I, I say it, you know, to, to, first of all, I felt comfortable saying it with you because you're such an open, beautiful, amazing person. And, and we connected pretty quickly as most of us did on the set. Um, but I struggle with that in so like, whether it's just being a dad, you know, being a husband, uh, being an out of work actor, that's when it's like, Ooh, oh man. So, um, that's why I say when I'm on set, I, I, I true. And there are exceptions to the rule, obviously, but when I'm on set, I, so I, I, I just, I give myself permission to be that powerful person that, that I, I imagine, you know, I love that. And I really, I really saw that. I saw you do that. Um, is that your, has that been your greatest obstacle 
overcoming the times when you're not acting or, or what would you say has been your, your obstacle and, and how do you overcome it? Yeah. Um, I'd say that is probably the greatest, uh, uh, the greatest obstacle in my life. Yeah. Uh, feeling that my self-worth is predicated on whether or not I'm working as an actor and, and the resentments that come in. Um, and the ego that is, that, that really leads to some self-destructive isolation, you know, self-destructive behavior and isolation. Um, you know, because there is sort of this, this core belief that I don't belong, right. Uh, that I, that I have. And I hate to say core belief because that makes it kind of sound like it's just, it's part of your core and you can't move past it. Uh, and I also don't want to enable that, you know? So I think the only way that I can cope with that, and it's been tough these last few months, that's for sure. Um, is to share it with people that I trust. And that's, and that's an even harder because my inclination is to lock myself in the room and just be sad. Isolate. Isolate. So instead Absolutely. of I, instead of isolating, you're weaselating. Weaselating. <laughs> I try and weaselate. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, early on in, uh, in the quarantine or in this lockdown, I reached out to uh, my friends that I went to college with. I went to a conservatory, uh, acting conservatory, and I reached out. And we used to play uh, this card game called Hearts. Um, and so we do a weekly Zoom Hearts game with people that I've known for 20 years where we just talk once a week and share stuff. I'm always in therapy. I, I've done anger management. I've done 12 step programs. I, you know, I'm constantly looking for ways, but at the end of the day, it comes down to what one of my friends said, which is a problem shared is a, is a problem split in half, you know, and that, um, that really helps me and, and, and guides me. Uh, but it's tough. I mean, you know, we're, there's so much shame for me involved in when I feel that resentment towards someone else who has something that I want or that is feeling or, 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 or that, that I'm feeling so low about myself, not in those feelings, but just the shame that I'm still feeling this way. Like, come on, can I get past that? Um, and so there's a sort of like a lack of there's like, I have no personally by myself, I've realized I have no uh, ability to, to objectively judge anything, <laughs> you know, it's all filtered through the insane amusement park that is in here. Um, and so to, to kind of step outside when I'm finally desperate enough to be like, Hey, I need to talk to somebody. You know, I always feel better. It's like going to the gym. It's like meditating. It's like all that it, self care is 
for me and, and, and sort of recalibrating myself is to, to talk to people I trust and people I love. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and you know, I would, I recently, I recently did a podcast where I felt like I was telling you, I felt like I was on ayahuasca because I went in and it was like three hours later. I've never done ayahuasca, but I felt like I just told my whole life story. And I, you know, and afterward, I, I also felt like, why didn't I offer enough solutions to the other person who was, you know, presenting some personal struggles to me? And then my friend who's a therapist said, actually, that was an organic, what you did by just listening was an organic uh, kind of official therapy called something like Rogerian therapy or something I forget, where you don't mm-hmm. solve the other person's problems, you just listen. Yeah. And that that by talking about it, they are processing it and you're helping them process it. And so that's what we're doing for each other. Like when we make a phone call right. and say something that we're going through that's like anything. Like I feel scared about this thing. I, you know, my my dad just went into assisted living and no. I feel really scared about it. And just talking to people about it, that I'm not like alone with it, or like that's so powerful because I think a lot of people aren't talking to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, and there's so many people you can talk to, and there's so much like many free resources right now or sliding scale resources during COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I am, I, I am a huge advocate for that, for talk therapy, for any therapy, for reaching out to friends, to fellowship of any kind. You know? Lita says a problem shared is a problem cut in a half. Beautiful. Yes. I love that. So what else has helped you on your journey the most, would you say? Helped me? Yeah. Uh, oh, on my journey. Well, definitely uh, getting sober helped me. When did that you know, happen? Uh, 13 and a half years ago. I, uh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It was, uh, I was still living in LA when, uh, when I got the gift of, uh, of you're not doing so well. What, uh, le- what led you to that moment or how did you realize that moment had arrived? Um, I was driving my car when I should not have been driving my car after, uh, leaving a friend who was, uh, uh, grieving the loss of her sister. And I, uh, had drank a lot and thought it would be a good idea to try and take some of, uh, of her recently passed sister's, uh, pain medication and, uh, subsequently it was like, something happened in my head where it was just like a punch, an internal punch where it was like, you're an awful person. And I got in the car and I left uh, and I was on the corner of like 
Wilshire and Santa Monica, you know, where like uh, in Beverly Hills, I don't remember it that well, but, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I am, I'm a horrible, horrible fucking person. Like I have no sense of morality except getting high. Um, what were you getting high on? Uh, mostly cocaine, uh, ecstasy, you know, like I, I, I feel like, it, you know, uh, I, I graduated college right before Facebook, you know what I mean? Um, so I feel like my drugs were like the, the friendster of drugs, like compared to like what's going on now where like people are doing all these crazy, like, you know, uh, what are they oxycotton and uh you know the the benzos and the the you know crystal meth and and heroin i was very much the sort of myspace cocaine ecstasy and had to have weed every day like wake and bake did you wake and bake no oh i i, I waked and and baked and i mean that was just the baseline and what i had was i you know, I thought I was so cultured in Bohemian. I, I would smoke cigarettes and I, I had a pack of smokes and I would go through those cigarettes, but they weren't really cigarettes. I would uh, put tobacco into a joint with weed. And so I would smoke about 20 of those a day. Wow. So did you have a guy that would come to your place named like Chico <laughs> with a backpack who would like make a delivery or how did that work? Uh <laughs> at times, mostly in New York was the delivery thing. And this is how you know it's bad. Um, when I was in New York, I went out of town one point, at one time to like do a, a regional play. And I got a call from one of those guys. And um, <laughs> he was just calling to check in on me because he hadn't heard from me in a while and he was concerned. He <laughs> was like, like just the random guy that would deliver me drugs was like, Hey Dennis, I haven't heard from you in a while. I just want to see if, if everything's okay. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm out of town, but uh, thanks for checking in on me. I mean, you know, I, I was sort of an, uh, you know, an everyday customer. So I guess, uh, you know, um, Chico, yeah, no, so I, are you saying Chico was weaselating, trying to weaselate with you? Yeah, exactly. Like, is everything all right? You can talk to me about anything, man. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to do some Rogerian therapy, if that's yeah. a, that's so funny. So, like, how was getting sober for you? Um, it was difficult. It was, it, I, like, I mean, I had, I had had some false starts before. Um, I, I, I first started seeing a therapist in LA, and she uh, uh, flat out said. I can't treat you anymore if, because I don't know who you are, you know, like you're high all the time. So I, how can I treat you if you're high all the time? So I don't know how much longer we can do this. So that was a seed. <clears throat> and then um, my roommate at the time, this uh, actor, brilliant actor, so funny in LA named Terry Moratos, this uh, Greek actor who, um, getting high again. Hey, you know what, buddy? Nobody cares. Nobody cares that you go drive up in the hills smoking your joints. Nobody's going to think that's special. And I was like, wow, Terry, okay. He's like, maybe I do have a problem. He's like, oh, no. Oh, no. You don't have a problem. Not yet. I want you to hit bottom. I want you to get desperate. 
then he'll have a problem. <laughs> so like, was he trying to do a tough love talk? Oh, Lita says Chico was making sure you didn't find another Chico. LOL. Yeah, Chico was 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 uh, trying to hoard me. Um, he was bogarting I, your your pop yeah. your. <laughs> Your weed um, business was he trying to was he trying to give you a tough love talk like yeah he was just uh, he was was, it, he was, I feel like uh, people always got those old school talks like hey man this is probably the last time I'm gonna see you man because yeah you're gonna be yeah. dead soon but right. uh, I just wanted you to know I loved you man and uh, yeah but but Terry had such an interesting way of doing it he was like oh you're not there yet you're not there yet you'll get there though. I'll be here when you get there. I'm just in the room over there. Hey, you haven't hit bottom yet, buddy. You know, <laughs> like, and it was hysterical. But he was right. He was like, oh, you have to go through some things first. <laughs> you know. So, and he was right. I went through some things. I, uh, you know, I, I would, you know, just on a random Tuesday night, decide to walk around my block. It was again very isolating. But I would decide to walk around my block just doing cocaine. Just walk, walk, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a, a really desperate, uh, sad time and boring. It was a boring existence. And that's, that's sort of, you know, my takeaway from being an addict. Uh, it's nothing really interesting happened. It was me isolating and getting high and, and getting then to the point where I just needed to keep my baseline. Yeah. I think that's the, the thing is like, you know, sometimes people are like, I don't want to give up the party, the fun, but it's like at the point where you're going home to drink alone until you crash alone on your couch Right. And then you say, I'm never going to do this again because I have a headache or I'm sick. And then you have to do it again the next day. That's not really a party. That's that's actually like slavery. Right. Absolutely. It's slavery. And, you know, and isolation. Talk about isolation. Yeah. Well, and to the point where I didn't even want. I mean, there are plenty of people that are willing to do drugs with you, (laughs) you know, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to Chico expand, you know? Uh, so it was, it was, and, and to think about myself as a child and, you know, all these things that I wanted to create with my life, if there's ever, you know, luckily enough, I wasn't put in so many near death experiences that, you know, it wasn't like that, but what it did do was create just the absolute just the 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 very definition of mediocrity there was nothing special about my existence oh my god that's do you know that's my favorite i i heard i heard this one time and i love it is that alcoholism can lead to hospital jails institutions and mediocrity Oh, I never heard that. That's great. And that's what I love because I I don't have fortunately experience with the you know the 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 first three, but um yeah. but I have a lot of experience with mediocrity and I'm yeah. I'm not really I'm not so interested in it anymore. 
as you shouldn't be because you are anything but right thanks dennis but that's you know that's sort of that's part of that mindset you know of i'm not good enough i'm just gonna be here in my little cocoon and do that well it's also it's it's hiding from life right you're hiding out you're leaving life and there are yeah. many ways to leave life it's not just limited to drugs and alcohol it right. you can leave life when you're you know thinking you're not good enough and and looking for validation outside of yourself and you're getting high on needing validation or comparing yourself to others or jealousy or you're checking out of your own beautiful life and you're saying this life is not as good as that thing i'm seeing somewhere else and um it's all just like a checking out it's all just like leaving life and you know like what you're saying, like staying in your power is like a lot of it, just like staying in your life and claiming your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And that's that in, in of itself is, is, is a daily challenge. Even, yeah. even now. And, and it's a practice. Are, it's, it's a, a practice. practice. You know, my friend said, uh, I, I love this. My friend had two pugs has mm -hmm. two pugs and she says the one pug this is about jealousy the one pug would be enjoying its biscuit but then it would see the the pug in the other the, it would see the biscuit in the other pug's mouth and it would drop its own biscuit because it wanted that pug's biscuit that's the truth and that's it's just it right like there. you already have a biscuit you have the right. same biscuit really but now you see this other biscuit and you think that one's better and that's like yeah. that disease or, or you know of thinking like you know and they say like the biscuit any in the other mouth is better than the one that's in your mouth because you the, the biscuit in your mouth is obviously the inferior biscuit yeah you already know that biscuit yeah and then that thing where ism any ism is ism i seek misery yeah <laughs> that I, you know i i you have these great acronyms like shame uh, should have already mastered everything, right? Um, I seek misery. That's wonderful. Yeah, because if you if you start to go down these paths and you go, oh, you know, I'd rather isolate with this shame or whatever, you can start to be like, that's actually making me feel miserable. Oh wait, it's the I seek mis I seek misery. Okay, I found it. Okay, how do I realign? Yeah, with with the feel good really, and like follow the feel good. But it is, yeah. it's that daily practice. Yeah. How did you um, find anger management? Was it helpful? Uh, I, I, by the way, I think that's so amazing to go do that because I know a lot of people who are struggling with anger stuff and yeah. um, especially now, there are a lot of people are very yeah. angry. So it seems comforting to know there's something to help. There is, and uh, and there were some great tools to it. Um, yeah, I well, I I find that my anger manifests itself when I'm scared. I mean, wow. that's that that's how my fear operates. It comes across uh, as anger, and I'm overload. 
that's how how it that's just how it works so and wait you said you you're overwhelmed you're overwhelmed you get scared and then you get angry yeah okay so that's where it comes from it comes from overwhelm fear and then it's anger yeah fear anxiety uh you know uh, they're sort of one and the same i guess uh at least in this process yeah and so i being married uh for almost 10 years now uh you i have a partner that's uh pretty good at pointing out <laughs> that pattern of behavior um and i love her for it and uh and you know i want a marriage where uh my worst self is not enabled but my but but a relationship where we can be where we encourage each other to be our best selves and me being angry because i'm overwhelmed as opposed to saying i'm overwhelmed and i'm stressed and i'm scared and i don't know what to do and i don't have the answer to this right now even if it's like i don't know how to make this meal tonight i don't know how to get the baby from stop to stop crying i don't know why she'll she she's not listening to me whatever it is um i i don't want to be part of a relationship where it's like well that's just dennis let him have his fit and then he'll be fine you know i am i don't want that um i don't think that's healthy and 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 conversely i don't want you know that my partner for me to enable my partner in in her worst self activities as well. So um, anger management was certainly something I needed to do to be a better partner and just a better human being. But I'm, you know, I'm constantly looking for that. You know, I did the landmark forum uh, after that and learned a lot there just about, you know, I'm constantly doing these programs and, and trying to self explore because um, I want to get better. And I don't know if, if there's ever like a, you know, it's not like the matrix, you know, there's some, some sort of, I personally, for me, it's not some leaving the cave and everything is different. You know, it's more my ability to make the distinction quicker. Like, oh, I'm doing this because I'm this and taking a step back. You know, um, I used to do a therapy called the IFS, internal family system, which is fascinating. I don't know, have you heard of it? No. It's essentially predicated on like, we have parts inside of us that we blend with. So I'm not angry, I have an angry part. And you know, 40 year old Dennis, who is at a place of power can recognize that's a part, but that's not who I am. But when I'm blended, well, that's four-year-old Dennis who was angry because daddy didn't do this or whatever, and that can take over. So, um, you know, oftentimes I'm angry because of things that have nothing to do with the person who's staring at me. You know, uh, Aristotle said, yes, you, 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 you certainly can be angry, but it's very rare that you're angry at the right person at the right time for the right thing. You know, and that's that's sort of that. So I've got so much baggage that 
I don't know if I'll ever get rid of it. I just want to be able to recognize it quicker and not hurt the people around and repair as soon as I can. Well, I think that's a very noble pursuit and I commend you. How? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I too am aspiring for this. Um, what? What were your favorite moments of love weddings and other disasters? Right. Now, now you right. You've had a few. You've had many of the things in this title. You've had love. You have love. You've had a wedding. Maybe weddings. I don't know. And you've had disasters. It sounds like you've overcome several disasters. Yeah. What were your big, your favorite moments? Oh, and I also want to ask you. Yeah. What's your melness moment? My, <laughs> the, my melness? So, so that's like a wellness tip or like how do you, to help you stay in the, in the moment. It's like a healthy tip. Okay. What's your uh, wellness moment for the, for the pandemic? Oh yeah. Okay. So, uh, for the pandemic, it's definitely, um, my zoom calls with my college friends. Uh, also I'm teaching, I'm working a lot so that you kind of have to be present there. Um, so, but that can be draining. So honestly, it's getting in the car, driving and listening to music. Great. And do you, do you do like one-off audition coaching? Like if someone wanted to call you from LA and do like a one-off <laughs> yeah. coaching sesh about how to stay in your power with an audition, what, what do you do that? I do. I have a few clients that I do that with, um, in LA still over, uh, zoom and, uh, FaceTime. Um, and, uh, and I do it for some of my students in Boston as well. Cool. And uh, how do people yeah. find you? Say it again. How do people find you? Um, yeah, that's a good question. How do people find me? <laughs> can they, uh, can they message you on Instagram? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they can, because that's, uh, it's usually somebody who's already taken a class. With okay. Got it. You know, so it's not, it's not, some, it's not like a side hustle that I'm trying to. Okay. Got it. Got it. Trying to, trying to promote. Um, got it. All right. Well, tell something I do. <laughs> cool. Good to know. Good to know. What, uh, so tell me about, tell me about LWAD. Yeah. Well, um, there are so many great stories about LWAD for me in terms of like full circle. So, uh, I mean, the first thing is, and I know you're going to be talking to Caroline tomorrow, uh, who uh, she was cast <clears throat> to play my wife or fiance and, and wife. Um, so right off the bat, um, I, I knew that like she and I had to have some sort of chemistry and we hadn't met. So I just called her up or uh, messaged her on Instagram, not really knowing her, you um, messaged her on Instagram or something like that. You messaged her on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I heard her name and, and I didn't know her that well, but I messaged her. I, I think she says we did a reading before, but I barely remember that. <laughs> um, and so, and uh, you know, I don't believe in this like method acting thing where like, let's pretend to, that we're reenacting the day we met or something like that and stay in character. 
but I do believe that like, if you're just going to meet somebody on the day of, and it's like, it's exponentially harder to, um, to have that history show on film. If if you're just meeting to show that, that chemistry. So Caroline and I actually were going to get together, but then something uh, didn't work, work out. And then Dennis Dugan, the director was like, Hey, we're doing a rehearsal with Jeremy Irons and Diane Keaton and you guys, they're going to be shot out before you guys shoot. So would you like to meet them and watch them rehearse and hang out? And so we did, uh, we went and where we went to was, uh, the Longwood tower about ballroom. It's where they were rehearsing where, you know, she, she comes in and meets Jeremy for the first time. And that ballroom, was my first catering job because my mom lived in the building next to that ballroom. And so I catered weddings and bar mitzvahs while I was in college. And so the full circle of being there to rehearse a movie that I was going to be in uh, at, at a place where I started as a waiter was like just you know, yeah, it was a chef's kiss. It was amazing. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. So that was pretty, that was so cool. Um, And how, how was it seeing uh, Diane and Jeremy rehearse? It was fine. It was great. I mean, you know, I. Did you, did you have any notes as an acting teacher for them? (laughs) Well, it's funny. Diane Keaton is hilarious. She, she doesn't give a shit. And I, I mean that in the best way. Like, I, I was like, hey, it's so great to meet you. I love your work. She's like, oh, shut up. I'll be saying the same thing about you. And I was <laughs> like, ah, that's so funny. Um, and, and she's like, tell me about yourself. I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm from here. I'm, I, I, I'm from a Russian family. She's like, oh, that's good. That's a good story for you. That's good. And I was like, you are killing me right now. Um, and, and she was like, are you one of those actors? And I was like, what do you mean? You know, one of those actors that asks questions about the script, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> you, you, you know, trained. And I was like, um, I, I guess I am. It's like, oh, just show up and say the fucking lines. <laughs> and it, it was so... Um, <laughs> It, it was so uh, like aggr- like aggressive in a funny way. Like there was nothing hostile about it. It was just so warm and it just it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> so th- that was great. Um, yeah. So wait, I mean, wait, you know, she I- wait. She doesn't do any kind of training or questions. She just shows up and says the fucking lines. Well, I think after you do The Godfather and Annie Hall and Baby Boom and all these great things, I think I think I think you can show up and say the fucking lines. I'm sure there's more to it, but yeah, and you know, you know after you've had movies, you know, written for you and to yeah. your personality, like Annie Hall, you probably are able to stand in your power. Yeah. Well, also, you know, everybody loves to point out Annie Hall. And yes, she's amazing in Annie Hall. But if you see her in Manhattan, which was made like a year later, she's completely different. Wow. I mean, in Annie Hall, she's sort of like this. Well, yeah, you know, la-di-da, blah, blah, blah. 
And then in Manhattan, she is this elitist intellectual. And it's, it's the nuance of film acting. And she's, I mean, she's a master at her craft, but all the but again, you know, to go back to that place of power, no one, I don't care how many Oscars you have. Well, and, good, and, good and, because, and, and, good because I have five. Good. Oh, five. So I'm glad you don't care, but go yeah. ahead. Well, no, because it's like people, you know, there's this sense of like, are you intimidated to work with so-and-so or, 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 or any, and it's like, you know what intimidates me? Unemployment. That's the only thing that like somebody that, that plays pretend really well for a living doesn't intimidate me. I love no. that. By the way, how do you get over your fears of unemployment? You were speaking of that earlier. Um, or fears that fears that you're not working enough as an actor. I, I don't. I, I, I mean, that's, that is the job of the actor. And again, that's why I think I, I feel so comfortable on set. Because for me, the job is getting the job. Everything else is is the dream. Wow. So the job is getting the job. So if you're getting the audition, showing up, doing the self care, doing the thing that you are doing the job and anything yeah. else is the dream or like cake. Yeah. Amazing philosophy. Yeah. Wow. Because a lot of people would just think the job starts when I'm on set. They wouldn't think of, you know, showing up to get the job. That is my job. That is, my, wow, that's like paradigm shift stuff right there. Well, because, I mean, that's what I've been dreaming about ever since I was a kid. You know, that is the dream to work, to do these, 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 to, to, to be on a set, to, to collaborate, to create something on a large scale and, and work with, you know, uh, do we have time for a story? Yes, we, we do. Huh? Yes, that? yes, we do. Okay. So when uh, when I did Detroit, um, you know, it's Catherine Bigelow. It's this crazy, we didn't get the script beforehand. It was all very like you, you auditioned with dummy sides. And all I knew was that I was interrogation detective number two. That's it. And, and she kept us on set the whole time. Like you were called on set and you were in your clothes and you're, you kind of started and, and I didn't get it, but I realized like she, she kind of created this atmosphere of always being in character. Um, and I, I started to like take to it. And then we got 20 minutes before we got this scene where we're me and this other amazing actor, Chris Coy, are interrogating John Boyega, you know, from Star Wars. And they just said, go. And it was a dream because there's no continuity, three cameras following you around. And I just, I don't know what it was, but that for me was, was really the paradigm shift moment because I had lived in those clothes for so long of, of my character, just sitting there. 
And it was supposed to be a one day shoot. And then we just did this scene and it just was, we did one take of it. The crew applauded. It was silent the whole time. And it was this, that was the first real revelation for me that I was like, wow, I, through whatever arbitrary, whether it's self-inflicted wounds in my career choices or the arbitrary nature of the business, I'm not at the level that I thought I would be in terms of notoriety and work. But when I'm on the playing field, I can play with anybody, you know? And it was that moment and, and, and Bigelow was like, come back tomorrow. Like it turned a one day, no name part into, into a week's worth of work where my improv stuff was capped and I was featured prominently in the trailer and all that, you know, didn't lead to fame and fortune. It just led to this sense of like, I know what I'm doing and I don't, you know, it's a sport, but it's a team sport and I don't care who you have in your entourage or how many followers you have when the shit hits the fan, when it's us on set, bring it and I'll bring it with you, you know? Um, and it was that day. It was that, it was that experience that, that, totally made me feel that, you know, get me on the field. You won't, you won't regret it because I'll play with anybody, you know? So, wow. So you like showed up with your preparation, but this, there was no prep there because the script was, we got the scene 20 minutes before. Okay. So, but something took over your, your training and your talent took over. And that thought though preceded everything, which is that, I got this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not not, not only do I got this, I got this is sort of like, give me the ball coach. And I, I, it's more like I'm living this. Like, like I'm, I'm playing because at the end of the day, we're, we're grownups playing a children's game. Right. Like my daughter, when she gets out of the shower, we have a gray towel. She hunkers down and covers her body in that gray towel. I go, yeah, what are you doing? After like a minute, she goes, I'm a rock. She's not worried about the girl across the street being a more convincing rock. She's not thinking if daddy's seen better rocks before. (laughs) Right? She's a rock. She's not, she's not worried. She's not worried. She's not worried that the other rocks have more followers. Right. Exactly. She's bought in. And so it was that moment that I, that you get it. Like I bought in, I have bought in and it is made. And, and it's just that, that level of buy-in. The only thing that gets in your way is you. You know, so buy in. We had it when we were children. We can't live our whole lives being rocks. Obviously, there are societal norms, although, you know, some people can do it. Um, But it was that moment in Detroit where I was like, oh, I buy in. And and since then, any time I've gotten the job, 
it's been a buy-in. You know, like love weddings. Not once was I worried about anything. I I I was having the best time. You know, it was so much fun. So so, what were your favorite moments of that set besides the? What are you are are you excited? It's coming out next week. I am excited, uh, but again, that this is where we go to me being out of work, you know? So it's like, I'm excited. I haven't seen it. You know, I hope people like it. But, you know, when Detroit came out, I thought that was going to change everything for me. Right? And so I I had to do, I have to do a lot of, like, if, we're, if I'm going to be straight with you, I have to do a lot of, like, I hope people like it. I hope it's okay. You know, I don't want to get my hopes up too high. Um, cause that, that it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be good for me if I'm like, you know, I, I feel, I just feel weird about that. I feel weird about talking about it on social media. I feel weird about all that. Like there, there are just parts of me that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cautious. I'm cautiously optimistic. If it's as good as the fun that we had on set, then I'll be psyched, you know? Okay. But again, but, but again, like that's out of my control. I don't know how Dennis cut it. I don't know how, how it looks, you know, I, I but I, I know the level of talent that's involved in the making of it is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Well, I feel like, and those results are always out of our hands, but what I'm in into is just celebrate. I'm just celebrating now. Like I'm not, yes. I'm not waiting for some future date or something to come out or results to celebrate. Like I'm, I'm celebrating that we made something. It was so fun to do. Yeah. And that's why I'm doing these IG lives every day at 9 a.m. is because I want to celebrate, be able to celebrate with you guys who made the movie uh, with me um, since we're we're not going to have a, a big premiere uh, yeah, I know. because of COVID. Yeah. And so I'm just like consciously celebrating right now and not waiting until any exterior validation comes in to be like you know what dennis we made something it was awesome and sure as artists we're always gonna want to be doing a better job or getting the next thing but that part of the process i think is celebrating what has been done and accomplished and that like not to not do that is actually like spiritually deading for me like if i don't take that moment in and go Oh my God, we got to have this amazing artistic experience together. 100%. Like, and I'm so glad you said that because that, so that's the poetry of like, you say something, I, you said that I said something that helped you. That helps me because, you know, I wrote a play a few years ago and it was so, I was so proud of it but I didn't enjoy one minute of it being performed because I was always hoping that somebody would see it and produce it on a bigger level. Right. I was so proud. Like the Detroit experience was amazing. 
I was constantly checking the box office and all that. So I was not able to enjoy it and celebrate it. And, and, and I, I could point out a million other examples of that in my, in my life, you know? And so I, I, I will celebrate it. <laughs> absolutely. No. Dennis, absolutely. Because, you know, I think this is the thing is like, as humans, we do always think when this thing happens, I can be happy. If right. this thing happens, then I can celebrate. And you hear it all the time. And it's like, actually, these feelings of celebration, joy and appreciation for all that has already come in are completely accessible today now for all of us. Like we can access those emotions now, not contingent on any outside stuff coming in. And by the way, if I can't celebrate all the stuff that's already come in and be an appreciative of that, how can any more come in? It doesn't matter what else I get in the future. I won't even be able to feel it or celebrate it or take it in because I'll always be in that next, what's next. If this happens, I can, then I'll be, it's like, that idea of like actually how about right now i just yeah. be happy now and appreciate yeah. now and you know you hear all the time people having like a wedding and they couldn't even enjoy the wedding because they were so worried about all the production happening and the family fighting and the dress was on right. fire or the IG live didn't start or whatever. So it's like, <laughs> we do have power over, you know, whether we have power each day to celebrate the wedding and not be in the disaster. We have power yeah. each day to come from love. You know, love is stronger than fear. Love is stronger than hate. Love is stronger than compare and despair or ism. And we have like access to that each day. Like, and it kind of does bring it back to, are we gonna make this day a, a love wedding or disaster? Yeah. Cause it's a conscious choice and we have, we have power in that decision. See, isn't that amazing? Uh, we were talking about sharing, right? Sharing a problem and I gave you an honest response to your question and you responded honestly and I feel better now. You know, it's, it, it, it really, it, it's amazing. It's amazing because now I, I can have a little more perspective. It's not that I wasn't thinking that before, but I was sort of, you know, in my own kind of, yeah, the movie's coming out and blah, 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 you know, but nobody's asked me like you asked me, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, it looks like we processed a lot today. I think we did. We processed a lot today, a lot of good stuff. Um, right, so two times a week for the next uh, Just keep coming back, just keep coming back, send a Venmo. Um, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Stay positive until we uh, talk again. Do your do your uh, your meditation. What what is your daily practice of of wellness or melness? Um, I'm trying I'm death. trying to make that catch on hashtag melness moment. I'm kind of hashtag melness. I'm kind um, of pushing it. 
I jog and I uh, do yoga. Amazing. That's about it. That's about it. I mean, you know. What else do you simple. need? Not much. And and nicotine. I do my lozenges. Oh, you're still doing those? Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about yeah. that book, uh, Easy Way to Stop Smoking, that I yeah, that I did? Yeah. It works. Yeah. I, uh, people swear by it. Dennis, you are so talented. You are so funny in this movie. <laughs> by the way, anyone who just tuned in, this is uh, Dennis. Dennis and I are in this movie, Love Weddings and Other Disasters. It's out December 4th. You can December 4th. get it on all your platforms. We're celebrating it today that we got to have Woo! this amazing experience working on this amazing movie with Diane Keaton and Jeremy Irons, an amazing cast, amazing director and writer. Um, and also, if you just tuned in, this is a podcast called Let's Process This with Melinda Hill. And you can hear Dennis's whole interview uh, anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, Let's Process This with Melinda Hill. You can also find it at melindahill.com. Dennis, do you have any parting words? And by the way, Chris528 says, this has been tremendous. Thank you both for your openness and honesty. What a beautiful way to end. Oh, thank you, Chris. Um, parting words. Uh, remember those that have to go to work and take care of the sick. Mm. And think about them. Yes, and send healing energy. And I know a lot of comedy shows are sending free tickets and, and gift whatever you can and and be kind to everyone. Everyone's going through a lot right now. Yeah. Join us tomorrow. Also, we'll be back here at 9 a.m. talking with more castmates from Love Weddings and Other Disasters. Uh, I guess Instagram at dstaroselski. Um on Instagram. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not very good at it. But uh, with Melinda Hill as my guru, I will uh, get better. Also, everyone, uh, even though it's her podcast should see her comedy special inappropriate. It's amazing. I died during your striptease uh, routine. <laughs> died. Thank you. I am so excited you like the comedy special. Um, what platform did you watch it on? Amazon. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's where I watch most things. Um, did you? Okay, that's funny because I love the striptease part too. There's for for those of you who don't know, there's a what if strippers had to strip to an inappropriate song and it's <laughs> such a brilliant idea. Oh my god, that's gold. That is so gold. Oh. Thank you so. I'm so happy you like it. I was worried during that that taping because I normally do like a full awkward splits of the stripper, and I didn't do the full splits that day. I like went into a weird like drop kick or I something. Said, that made it better. Really? It made it better. It made it better. But also, and 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 it's obvious. I mean, your fans are listening and watching, so they know this already. So I'm maybe preaching to the choir. But there is so much empathy and love in your comedy. And that is, that, that, that's what, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm a comedy nerd. I love comedy. I watch the documentary on the store and all that stuff. And that's great. 
and but the level of empathy it's and humanity it it's 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 your master your master craftsman human it's amazing Dennis, thank you thank you thank you thank, thank you. you thank you for everything thank you for the great pivotal moment on set with yeah. your your wisdom that i really needed to hear that i'm still practicing good me I'll too. Probably be texting you more about that, but I'm <laughs> I'm so excited to see you today and have this great talk with you, and and I'm really excited to see you in the movie. I mean, I have I don't think I've ever met a funnier straight man. Your <laughs> your expressions were so it was hard not to laugh. That's my favorite kind of uh, comedy when people are just. <laughs> I don't even know how you had so much fun doing that. I could tell. I, I loved it. I loved every, it was the dream. It was the dream. It's the dream. All right, Dennis, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Love. Take love care. Everybody else you bring on too. Love to everyone. Have a great day. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back here tomorrow at 9am at real Melinda Hill on Instagram live. Thanks for joining. Bye Dennis. Bye.